Okay, good morning, Boker Tov. It's great to be back. Hope everyone is having a wonderful summer. It's good to see everybody. I want to dedicate our learning this morning. Uh, today is my grandfather's year at site, my father's father, Yehuda Leib Ben Shlomo Zalman. Um, I didn't have the opportunity to know him well. He passed away. I was four years old, two days before my brother was born. But he was a humble and modest man uh, who worked hard for his family and uh, provided my father Jewish education and the Jewish values which uh, have uh, shaped our family. So our uh, learning this morning I hope will elevate his uh, special neshama. Again, Yehuda Leib ben Shlomo Zalman. This week we have the privilege. Where did he come from? He came from Poland. He was a Polish Jew. Um, he had a store in Germany. He lived in Germany with my grandmother. In Kristallnacht, his store was destroyed and he was beaten. And they were able to come to America uh, and uh, to get over, which is a whole other story, but not the purpose of this morning. Page 980, Parshas Akev, my brother's bar mitzvah parsha, understandably. He's uh, born that week. So, uh, Parshas Akev. Parshas Akev continues what uh, we've, been, uh, conti- well, we've been reading in Sefer Dvarim. Every year I look forward to Sefer Dvarim. It's uh, so timely as we get ready for Elul, because Sefer Dvarim is the ultimate Musar Sefer. And Elul, everybody takes out Mesil Sishara, Misharit Tzuchuva, Orchos Tzadikim, Chovos Alvavos, all the classical works on Musr. But the most classic work on Musr is the one authored, the one uh, contributed, the monologue of our greatest teacher ever, Moshe Rabbeinu. Sefer Dvorim is one long Musr Sefer. And Moshe, who is, life is going to end, he knows it. This is the end of the 40 years of his leadership. The people are on the cusp of entering the land. And Moshe gives a long monologue, a soliloquy, in which he tries to admonish, encourage, uh, caution, warn, inspire the people based on their short history until that point to extract the lessons and to show the obstacles and the pitfalls and to encourage them not to repeat their mistakes. But as they're about to go into the land and realize their dream, the reality of being a nation in a homeland, setting up an agricultural system and a judicial system and a police force and a government and so on, Moshe is encouraging them how to to realize God's vision for them and not not chas v'shalom fall short. So when you learn uh, when you learn Moshe's words, it's the greatest Musar Sefer that we have. And he begins, We know these are the, uh, if you listen, Ekev, the famous Rashi, the mitzvahs that we step on with our heel, those that we dismiss as insignificant. Chazal already cautioned us not to dismiss or measure any mitzvahs as more or less significant, but to embrace them all and to follow them all. And if we observe the Mushmatim Asisim Osam, then Veshemar Hashem Lekech Lachas Abris Vesachesed Vahevcha Virachacha Virbecha. This is the promise of the reward. If we live God's recipe for life, if we follow God's prescription for Jewish living, then the reward will be a meaningful, elevated, enriching life. We'll have purpose and meaning in our lives, and we'll have all of this uh, litany of blessings. Baruch Tiyem Mikola Amim. We'll be blessed above the nations. There'll be nobody struggling with infertility. We'll, we'll have the blessing of continuity. Hashem will remove illness and sickness and suffering from our midst, and so on and and so forth. 
And this is the promise of, of Hashem. And it goes on and on. Again, I want to get to what we're going to study today. But look at these psukim. Don't just wait for Shabbos to listen to Kriyas Torah. In addition to the mitzvah of Shnai Mikra, in addition to the obligation to review the parsha, this is a, it's an unbelievable Musr Sefer. Every word and every sentence in, uh, in the whole Torah, but uh, specifically in Sefer, in Sefer Dvarim. It continues on page 982. Observe all of the mitzvah. What's the mitzvah? Mepharshim debate. Should have said kol mitzvos. All of the in the plural commandments. Why does it say the entire mitzvah? Which mitzvah? What mitzvah? And Moshe reminds them, Remember, 40 years God took you through the desert. Why? It was an exercise. It was a test. God wanted to see whether you as a young, you as an emerging, developing nation would, uh, would uh, embrace His mitzvahs or not. And what was the mechanism, the manner through which He tested you? The man. It was the test of abundance. This is a test we're going through in America today. It's a test maybe Jews around the world are going through that we have plenty, we have abundance, we have the most, uh, you know, I describe the poorest people in our community today, the poorest, most indigent people who have nothing, who rely on the community, who are on Tom Shabbos, are living a more blessed life than the richest people of a few generations ago. Even the poorest person has a one laundry machine and has a cell phone and a laptop and Wi-Fi, and a car, and air conditioning, and even the poorest people of our generation are living more comfortable, convenient, luxurious lifestyles, right? We don't, Baruch Hashem, really have people who, who are sleeping on the street and who don't know where their next meal is coming from. It's a testimony to the Jewish community who support and to help them. But when we come and support and help them, they and their children cell phones and have uh, little mini vacations and still go to camp and still so we live in a, in a time of abundance and of plenty and of blessing and uh, this is the test of of when you have the man then uh, then will we rely on Hashem are we going to even with all of that not take personal credit and think it's the result of our own ingenuity and our own creativity and our own work ethic, but to recognize that it's the bracha from Hashem. To, to be close to Hashem in times of suffering, in times of persecution, when threatened, when no way out, there's no atheists in a foxhole. That's easy to call out to Hashem in those moments. But to be grateful to Hashem, to live with faith of Hashem, to live with consciousness of Hashem in every moment, in times of plenty, in times of luxury, that is that is a great test. And that was the incubator. Going through the Midbar, they had everything. They had everything. As, uh, as Moshe continues, Your clothing never got old and never got worn out. Today you consider that a curse because you'd have no excuse to go shopping. You'd have no excuse to replace things. Your wardrobe every five minutes. You had everything. You had the man. You had the water coming from the Be'er. You had the Ananea Kavod. You had the protection, divine protection. You got to sit and learn. You got to spend time with family. You had everything. It was the most luxurious lifestyle. And that's the test. That's the test. Hashem 
So do you see Hashem? Do you follow Hashem? Are you obedient of Hashem? Do you embrace the relationship with Hashem? And so on and so forth. Again, I'm tempted. Every, every Pasuk here is, is wonderful. And what's the pitfall? What's the risk? Varam on the next page. That your heart is, uh, is inflated. That your ego is inflated. And you have everything. So you forget Hashem. You forget Hashem, who took you who's done everything for you. And if you forget Hashem, then this is what's going to happen to you. Remember, keeps Moshe keeps admonishing the people. Remember, Hashem took you out of the midbar. Remember those miracles. Remember how He nurtured and nourished us as a people. Never take credit and never forget and never think you're independent and never live isolated. Then uh, skip to page 988. The Parsha continues um, recounting the story of the second Luchos, the Aaron that held them, Aaron's death when Aaron died, uh, after his two sons died, the role of the Leviim, Hashem being appeased after being so disappointed with the people, and so on. He then tells them um, of the obligation again to love Hashem, and so on and so forth. The great role of the land, page 994. What is the land you're going to, Israel, is categorically different than the land you're coming from, Egypt. It's not like Egypt, where you can, with your leg, water the, the, the uh, garden. The vegetables. What does that mean? What does that mean? What's the difference between Egypt and, and Israel? Egypt relies, is irrigated by the Nile. With your leg, you could dig a furrow that uh, brings water from the Nile and you can water your vegetables and you can sustain yourself if it never rains. You're fine. Whereas in Eretz Yisrael, it's the land that the eyes of Hashem are on constantly. Why? Because Israel relies exclusively on rain for irrigation, for sustenance, for nourishment. And Hashem set that up by design. Because when the land relies exclusively on the Almighty for rain, you rely on the Almighty for food, to live, to sustain yourself. That means you're going to feel Hashem in your life. You're going to feel a sense of dependence on Him. And that was by design. Not like Egypt where they worshipped the Nile, because the Nile was the source of their sustenance. But Israel, where you have no one to whom with uh, to whom rely on, other than other than Hashem. Eretz Asher Hashem Elokecha Doreshosa Tamid Enei Hashem Elokecha Ba Mereshosa Shana Viat Acharis Shana. It's the land you feel Hashem's presence all the time. We then have the second paragraph of Shema, and uh, and again Moshe over and over warning them. Im Shamor Tishmurunis Kol Mitzvah. If you observe and so on and so forth. Okay, the section I want to look at today, you have in the handout. It's Parakid Pasuk Yud it begins a new section in the Torah. There's a break there. And here in the middle of Moshe's soliloquy, he says something He says something extraordinary to the people. If you look in the handout, it's uh, source number one. In the Chumash, it's Parakyud, Pasakyud, Beis. The Atai Yisrael. And now, you, the Jewish people. What does God want from you? Moshe is asking a rhetorical question. What is it that God wants from you? The Navi Micha repeated this question later. 
What does Hashem want from you? He gave different answers. Kim Hashem says Moshe, all God wants is to live with a little Yerah Shemayim. To walk in His way. So to love Him. And to serve Him with all your heart. And all your soul. To observe all the mitzvahs and the chukim that God commands you today. And it's for your benefit. Behold to Hashem are the heaven, all the heavens, the earth, and everything that is in it. It's an incredible pasuk. It's an unbelievable pasuk. Why is it unbelievable? Moshe says, what does God want from you? You now have discovered the Almighty. You are not pagans. You are not idolaters. You are not no longer part of Egypt. You have come to see and to recognize you stood at the mountain and you heard Him speak. And now what does He want from you? What should our lives be about? What are we living for? It's a very powerful question. And Moshe in his answer, we'll see soon, seems to play down like it's no big deal. What does God want? All He wants, no big deal. All He wants is walk in His ways, love Him, serve Him, observe His myths. What's the big deal? It's a very big deal. Look around the world today. How many are not doing it? It's an extraordinarily big deal. It's an incredible Medrash Shochetov, source 2. Medrash Shochetov is a Medrash on Tehillim. And the Medrash is on Tehillim, we'll begin to recite shortly. Throughout the month of Elul, we say uh, the David. And in there, Acha Sha'alti Me'is Hashem. David says, I have one request from you, Hashem. One. One. Continue the Pasuk. How does it go? Acha Sha'alti Me'is Hashem, Osoa Vakesh. Shivti Be'is Hashem, Koyim Mechayai. Lachsos Benoam Hashem, Levaker Be'ichalo. David Amalek goes on to give a whole. I have one thing, God, I want. This and that and the other thing and the third and the next thing and the. So the Medrash says, Amar Kosh Baruchul David, Bitchila Marta Acha Sha'alti. You began by saying you want one thing. Shivti Bevis Hashem, to sit in the house of Hashem. That's all you want, to dwell in Hashem's house. Vechazarta Vamarta, and then you continued. Lachzos Benoam Hashem, Levaker Be'ichalo. So which is it? You want one thing or many things? So Amar the fun of. Listen to David Amel's great answer. Ribono Shalom. Lo God, I'm just following what my master taught me. You came to us through Moshe and you said you wanted one thing. God says, What is Moshe representing God says, What does God want from you? What one thing does God want from you? And you started by giving one answer. It's a great exchange between David Amalek and the master of the universe. The Bona Shalom says, You said, What do you, you asked me, you prayed to me, you want one thing, and then you give a litany, a list, a whole bunch of things. So David says, Yeah, you know Hashem where I got that from? You. <laughs> you said, Jewish people, what does God want from you? One thing, you know, so... And then you gave a whole, and then you gave a whole list. So Moshe, when he tries to reduce or narrow down 
What does God want from you? What should inform and inspire our lives? What should they be all about? He begins with liyira es Hashem alokecha. To have a sense of, translate the word liyira. So most translate, it's classically translated as fear. We're going to translate it as, I think more accurately, awe. Here's what the Rambam says in describing love and fear. Says the Rambam, we have commandments. Last week's parsha, we saw the mitzvah in Shema, we spoke about Le'a Shabbos. One way to understand the mitzvah of Avas Hashem is, we quoted the Gemara Yuma, Pevav, How do you show God you love Him? By drawing other people closer to Him. When a new restaurant opens and you love it, what, what do you do? How do you show the owner you love it? You tell everybody, you've got to check out this new restaurant. Right? When a new, your favorite band or singer comes out with a new, uh, used to be, you'd say, record or tape or CD, but now you have to say song because you download the song, not even the whole album. But when they come out with a new song, how do you know if you love them? Because you tell everybody, you got to check, this new song came out, it's unbelievable. How do you know you love the Yankees? Because you talk about, and you, you know, you tell everyone they should love the Yankees. So, Lavdil, how do you know you love Hashem, says the Gemara Yuma? You get everybody to love Hashem. You tell everyone, everyone everywhere you go. You've got to listen to what Hashem did for me. Do you feel Hashem in your life? Isn't Hashem amazing? Have you seen the world? Do you understand the world? Live your life in such a way. Others are drawn close. That's the Gemara. But the Rambam has a different interpretation. In the moment that a person contemplates God's wondrous deeds, and you see, when you study biology, chemistry, physics, when you go to the Grand Canyon, when you see the world, the, the wonder of the world, and you realize that God's wisdom has no bounds, that has no end, miyad, immediately, you immediately love and praise and laud. And you feel drawn this incredible magnetic pull to get to know Hashem. The Rambam translates loving Hashem as knowing Hashem. This is one of the sources, you know, the Rambam, this idea of kind of a Torah umada, that for the Rambam, we get to know Hashem in two ways. We know Hashem through His diary. What's His diary? The Torah. It's remarkable. You know Hashem through His diary. You know, my grandfather, who's your side, said, my parents are, are um, selling their house in Teaneck and, and, and moving, so they're going through everything in the house. So they discovered a letter that my grandfather wrote when he went to Israel the first time, and a letter that he wrote that captured his feelings of seeing Israel for the first time. So my siblings moved to Israel. It's even more meaningful than for me, but we didn't get to know my... We were all babies. We were all children when my grandfather died. But now you read his letter. Now you see Israel through his eyes. First time being in the Holy Land, what it meant for him after what he had been through, lost and lost his whole family... So you read his words and you know him. He breathes. It's It comes back to life. When you read somebody's words, you know them. You get to know them. So how do you know Hashem? You read his words. The Chumash is his diary. The Chumash is his direct words. But for the Rambam, there's a second way to know Hashem. And that is to understand his world. To, to investigate and to research and to study and to delve into the profundity of the universe you get to know Hashem. And when you do, you're drawn to it. You're drawn to it. So, Avas Hashem for the Rambam is 
is knowledge. Is daya, is knowledge. Kamoshamar David, Sama Nafshila Lokim Lakelchai, David Amalach said, My soul thirsts for God. And now here comes the next part. When you think of these things, Miyad immediately, who near to Lacharab, you recoil, and you fear. When you contemplate the vastness of the universe, when you contemplate everything that is in existence, you realize how absolutely and utterly insignificant, small, pathetic, nothing we are. So you love Hashem, when you study Hashem, you're drawn to know Him. Knowledge is love. And when you realize in that process of knowledge the, the difference between the Almighty and us, how God is infinite and omnipotent, has no beginning and no end, is the master of the universe and is not limited by space or time. And in contrast, how utterly pathetic we are, how utterly pathetic we are and how we will end as worm food, then we recoil with a sense of awe and with a sense of fear. The Avudraham in source number four, we're going to get back to the Psukim. I know this is our Parsha class and we always try to delve into the Psukim. We're going to get back to it. But we're just trying to explain this Yiras Hashem that Moshe Rabbeinu minimizes. What does God want from you? What's the big deal? Have Yiras Hashem. So we're trying to define what is this Yiras Hashem. The Avudraham, Rav David Avudraham, in, uh, in the section on Avudraham, of Birchas Hashachar, explains that this is the formulation of every bracha we recite. This balance, the tension between Avas Hashem and Yiras Hashem, being drawn with love to Hashem and recoiling with awe of Hashem, is present in every blessing we say. When you begin to speak, you talk to Hashem in first person. And then, immediately, you transition into third person. You start by talking to Hashem as if He's right in front of you. And then all of a sudden you switch as if God's not there at all. What does He mean? We say, Baruch, it's not a trick question. Baruch Atah Hashem. Blessed are you. You're standing right. It's a very casual, comfortable you, you. Blessed are you, God. You. Elokeinu, Melech Olam. And then you switch. Our God, the King of the Universe. You go from you, first person, into as if God is not in front of you. You're supposed to live your life with God always immediately in front of you. And to a certain degree, we have a sense of a, of a love with Hashem. Hashem is like a parent. And as a parent, you feel a level of it being casual. It's comfortable. It's connected. It's natural. So you talk about Hashem. This is in first person. You, your best friend, your father. But then you get to the words, King of the Universe. All of a sudden you realize, whoa, he's the King of the Universe. He's not my friend. He's not even my father. He's the King of the Universe. He's the King of the world. So 
So we started out very casually. Blessed are you, Hashem, my good buddy. Elokeinu, me- whoa, Melech HaOlam. He's the king of the world. So then we realize, as the king of the world, He commanded us to observe. He commanded us. Now third person. Why do we talk to God in a both revealed and hidden way? Because God is both hidden and revealed. He's revealed in His creation and His diary. He's hidden in His essence. We don't have access to Him. So the incredible, it's an incredible insight of the Abu Draham. Every bracha we make, from when we wake up in the morning and the Asha Yatsar, the, the apple we eat, certainly a bracha and a mitzvah that we do, we have this tension present of Avas Hashem and Yiras Hashem. On the one hand, we love Hashem. He loves us. It's casual. Hey, buddy Hashem, what's going on? Baruch Atah, you... But we also recoil with that sense of Yira. Melech Olam. He's the king. And so when he is when he is Vitzivanu, as the king, when he commands us, he says, jump, we say, how high. So that tension between Avas Hashem and Yira Hashem is present in every single bracha, says the Avudraham. The Rav in Vikashta Misham, source 5, the Rav has a great insight, a critical insight, of exactly, again, that Yiras Hashem that Moshe is talking about is not fear, but is awe. This is what he writes. Awe is totally different from instinctual fear. Man as animal is haunted by dread and filled with opaque fears. Man as speaking spirit is filled with purposive awe. Fear is a, is a very human trait. is an animal trait. Right? An animal has fight or flight. An animal lives with fear, knows its surroundings. An animal fears consequences. But awe is more than just the fear of physical punishment. Awe is more than just fear which is self-preservation or, or um, survival. Awe is higher than just survival. Awe is a spiritual recognition. Fear is a powerful, vital response, dark and obscure, of bodily and psychic shock caused by an outside threat. In an instinctual emotional driving force that bursts forth at time of danger out of the mad desire to exist and assumes unrestricted dominion over man in times of crisis. Clear thinking has no part in it. It is imbued with the secret of the vital force rooted in every living thing, the desire to exist. Fleeting under the pressure of fear is instinctive, without any flash of enlightening will. Fear-driven man often runs away without knowing where, what, or why. Sometimes running away misses its mark enmeshing the fearful person in the very danger he's trying to escape. Shouting fire in a crowded hall often causes insane running, with people being trampled as a result of the crush of the stampeding crowd. One who is afraid of death sometimes commits suicide in order to save himself from the claws of that fear. To paraphrase a saying of our sages, fear is good in small doses, in large doses it is harmful. A little is good because it manifests the normal vigilance of the life instinct. Too much is harmful because exaggerated or pointless fear leads to total insanity. Fear, as everyone knows, is the ultimate source of all neurosis and psychic anomalies in man. Not for naught did the Torah make use of the punishment of fear as the most terrible curse to seal the covenant in Deuteronomy. Right at the end of Dvarim, at the end of Dvarim, when in the Tochacha it says, what's the punishment of disobeying God being gripped by fear? Right? This is what the Torah writes. Even among those nations you'll find no peace nor your foot find a place to rest. The Lord will give you there an anguished heart 
and eyes that pine a despondent spirit. You will be in terror night and day. No assurance of survival. Right? So fear is not noble. Fear is not virtuous. Fear is a punishment. A punishment of God is to be gripped by anxiety and fear. Religiosity that remains too long in the realm of this terrible fear does not achieve its goal. It deteriorates into magic. The Torah commanded us to be not fearful, but now the Rav explains what Yira is. The Torah commanded us to be in awe of God. Awe is born of the spirit that soars on high. Its essence is an axiological position toward another, brought about by knowledge. Awe stems from assessment. Right? You're in awe from knowledge. You understand, you know, you see a painting and you know nothing about painting, you might be impressed. But the more you know about it, about art, now you feel awe. Paintings, sculpture, science, medicine, um, national parks, uh, anything. The more you know about it, the more you can appreciate about it, the more awe you have. Man assesses himself and the other. Out of this comparison and assessment, he comes to feel awe, which begins with knowledge of inferiority and a sense of shame and ends with spiritual recoil, whose essence is spiritual elevation. Fear and love are mutually contradictory, but awe and love do not negate each other. On the contrary, they are entwined with each other. A great personality can bring about feelings of love and awe at the same time. When the storm of longing overpowers the lover and draws him to love, it also reveals the awe, which is a love fierce as death that sometimes takes the form of silent suffering. I love the other and yearn for him because of his greatness and majesty. But this valuation itself also leads to the retreat of the lesser one in the face of the greater one. Coming closer leads to an axiological diminishing of one's self-image. Love contains a quality of value, but also the negation of value. Honor your father and your mother is juxtaposed with every person shall reveal his mother and father. Honor and reverence go well together. The son does not fear his kind father and his gentle mother. The Torah has never commanded us to fear our parents. Its emphasis is on reverence, interwoven with enlightened, appropriate love. In this case, both of them, reverence and love, are rooted in gratitude. Similarly, our love and awe of God grow out of the experience of the connection between the universe and God. From this experiential awareness, the fiery attachment of love bursts forth, as well as the retreat of awe before His majesty, a retreat which reflects absolute shame. Right, so the Rav defines Yira is not fear. Fear and love are opposites. They don't go together. Yira is awe. Awe and love are naturally complement one another. You love something, someone, but the more you understand and love them, you feel an awe. And when you understand the difference between you and them, you also feel a sense of awe. awe. Yes, Uvikashta Misham. The book is called, you have it there. No, this is from a translation of the book. It appears in English. What? Uh, you, you, will search, you will seek him from there I think it's you'll seek him from there or even in the English it might be there you, in, in where I have source 5 I, the name is there Yeah. so the Rav defines so beautifully not just in our relationship with Hashem but in our obligation or relationship towards parents parents we have Kavod and Yira which Chazal and Kedushan explain exactly what it means you can't sit in their seat and you're supposed to stand when your parent comes in the room that's uh, Yira. Love is that you have to bring them, you know, the slippers and the newspaper. You don't disagree with your parents in front of them. There's all halachas that keep it avaim. What's Yira? When it comes to Yira's avaim, does that mean fear? Oh no, my parents going to put me in time out. 
My parents going to ground me. My parents going to leave me out of the will. What's fear when it comes to... The Torah tells you you should have a sense of fear. Of course it's not fear, the Rav says. You're never instructed to fear your parents. You're instructed to have awe of your parents. Have awe. You know, it's not a casual relationship. There's love. But you don't disagree with your parent in public. You don't sit in their chair. You don't call them their first name. You have to treat them with reverence, with awe. So this definition of Yira as awe and reverence rather than fear is true in our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's true in our relationship with parents. So we've defined Yira a little bit. The Rambam's definition of Yira, the Avudraham, how this comes out every time we make a bracha. And here the Rav, that Yira is awe, it's not fear. But let's go back to Moshe Rabbeinu. Let's go back to our Pesukim. Rabbi Fox, you want to say something? Well, I want to say when you talk about fear, you know, mothers sometimes say to a mischievous child, Wait till father gets home. Right. <laughs> right. I would like, my goal as a parent, I'm sure everyone here shares, is for my children to want to follow my wishes for them because they have respect. They have love. They, they have awe that I'm older, more life experience, perhaps have more wisdom, and therefore what I hope for them is rooted in, in, in what's best for them. That's why I want them to follow it. Not because they're going to go in time out or have their cell phone confiscated or lose their privileges. You don't want your child to obey you out of fear. You want your child to obey you out of, not obey you, you want your child to follow and embrace the same things you do because of a sense of awe and reverence for you and for your life and for those who come before you. For your, for those who, whose lives you're continuing. Rabbi, when you say that on the word of respect before or you have to have yeah. that individual. Right, you don't have all yeah. things you don't respect. They go together, yes. You started off, you know, Riyati so Mashem Alakecha Shayu Nimot, Team and the Yivo Et Mashem Alakecha. Right. Mashem Alakecha, as if it's a simple thing, can easily be attained. We know it's really one of the most difficult things. Exactly. In fact, in the Birkat Chodesh, twice is repeated here. Yeah. Twice, not once. Apparently that prayer is not easy. Excellent. Rabbi Fox points out twice when we, when we say Birkat Chodesh and we bless the new month, twice we ask for Yerah Shemayim. So... Yeah. Yeah. So, Mr. Kamenetsky, Bernie Kamenetsky's father, he loves to tell me the Dvar Torah. You know why we ask for Yerushalayim twice? Because after the first time we ask for Yerushalayim, we ask for Osher Vachavod, for wealth and kavod, wealth and honor. Once we ask for wealth and honor, we better again ask for Yerushalayim. <laughs> That's why we say it twice. If you ask for Osher Vachavod, you better ask for Yerushalayim. Good. So Gemara and Brachas, perfect segue. Gemara Brachas Lamed Gimel is bothered by exactly what Rabbi Fox just said. Amar Rabbi Chanina, Hakol Bidei Shemaim Chutz Shemaim. The Gemara makes an unbelievable statement. Everything is in the hands of heaven other than Yirash Shemaim, other than awe of heaven. Everything in our life is predetermined. Everything in our life is controlled divinely other than our embrace of the divine. How does Rabbi Chanina know this? From the Pasuk in our Pasha. What does God want from you? Only one thing. Meaning He's gotten everything, everything else He's taken care of. How tall you'll be, how smart you'll be, what you'll look like, your socioeconomic uh, background, what kind of job you'll have, whether you get married, what kind of children you'll have. He's got the rest of your life covered. One thing you're in charge of. There's only one thing you do. And that is, Yiras Shemayim. And the Gemara continues. 
Atu Yirashamayim in the top left of page five. Atu, if you're listening online, the source sheet should be there as well. Atu Yirashamayim milta zutrasi. Is is fear of is awe of Hashem is Yirashamayim such an insignificant, petty, easy thing that Moshe communicates it as if it's no big deal? God has nothing in his treasure house other than the store, than a store of the merit of the fear of heaven. Hashem has a special storehouse of the reward for those who have Yerushalayim. You see, Yerushalayim is an incredible level. So Moshe, so small. What does he want after all? What's the big deal? What does he want? Yerushalayim. How could Moshe possibly depict Yerushalayim as so petty, insignificant, and easy if God has a special reward reserved for those who attain Yerushalayim? So the Gemara answers in, yeah. Legabe Moshe Rabbeinu, Milta Zutrasi. Yeah. For Moshe, Yerushalayim is easy. It's similar to a person, a case where a person from whom a large utensil was demanded and he had it available. So the fact that he has it available, you know, you have a huge pot, somebody needs a super big pot, but you have a bigger pot, so the, the, the big pot looks small to you. But if you need a small pot and you don't have it, so a small pot to you looks humongous. Everything is relative. So to Moshe, whose life is animated by Yerushalayim, yeah, it's Milta Zutrasa. It's no big deal. That's the Gemara's, that's the Gemara's answer. What does it mean? What does it mean? Really, it's a topic for another time. Everything is in the hands of heaven. This is a very scary thought. Again, there's a lot, lot, lot more to say about it. What does it mean that God controls everything in our life? The one thing that we control is Yerushalayim. That's very debilitating. It's very disempowering. God controls everything. Everything is predetermined. The one thing that we control, the one thing that we are involved with, is Yerushalayim. So the Ritva explains, Source 7, the Ritva on that Gemara Brachos. You think that you're making so many choices in your life. Sitting here right now, you think you chose which car to drive here? You didn't choose which car to drive. If you lived in some other country, you'd probably be driving another car. You drove the car that based on your socioeconomic status, it's based on the commercials you saw, based on what your peers are driving, based on... You think you're wearing the clothing because you chose this style? You're wearing the clothing because it's 2015 and you're fitting into a certain group, but this is what... Everything about us, even... You know, think about who we are, the sum total of who we are. As the Ritva writes, are you wealthy, are you poor? Are you tall, are you short? Are you athletic, or are you non-coordinated? Are you artistic, or are you... So much about who we are is the result of things that literally were predetermined in our lives. What we, however, endow all of that with is whether it has a sense of Yerushalayim or not. Are you going to get the job or not? That's up to God. You're going to be wealthy or poor, that's up to God. You're going to be healthy or ill, that's up to God. You're going to have children or marry, happy, it's all up to God. What do we contribute? Whether all of that has a sense of Yerushalayim. 
What we control is whether we invite Hashem into all of that, whether we see Hashem in our lives. As I say, there's a lot more to talk about on that subject, but that's the Gemara says. How do we know that from our parsha? He's got everything else taken care of. The one thing that you control is Yerashamayim. Everything is predetermined, but whether we live a life of meaning and purpose, whether we take all of that which was predetermined and elevate it and invite God into it, that's the one thing that's, that's up to us. The Orachayim HaKadosh, come back to our Pasuk again, go back to our Parsha class. The Orachayim HaKadosh on our Parsha says, there are two levels that Hashem wants from us. And one is above the other. These two levels of Avas Hashem and Yiras Hashem, loving Hashem and awe of Hashem, which one's higher? Which one's higher? Love is higher. Love, says the Orachayim at least, love is higher. Even though love is higher, God is saying, but all I'm asking from you is Yira. You don't want to love me, you can't come to love me. Okay. But at least have enough intellectual honesty to feel awe of me. You struggle to love me, love is a hard thing to control. But have at least enough intellectual honesty, enough knowledge of me, Enough getting to know me that you have a sense of awe of me. The Ramban, by the way, writes, the Ramban writes, the fact that love is greater than awe, Ava trumps Yira, is why we have a principle, Asei doche losasei. The Ramban says, positive commandments are out of a sense of love. When Hashem says, do a positive commandment, hear the shofar, blow the lulu, put on tefillin, light the candles, observe. Positive commandments are an expression of loving Hashem. Negative commandments... Losasei are yira. Or Hashem says, don't, don't touch, don't eat, don't do, don't. Negative commandments come from awe. Asei doche losasei. If you have a conflict between a positive commandment and a negative commandment, tzitzis have shatnas in them, but you're supposed to wear tzitzis. And many examples. So which one supersedes the other? Which trumps the other? The positive or the negative commandment? So the halacha is asei doche losasei. The positive commandment trumps the negative commandment. Says the Ramban, Ava trumps Yira. Ava is greater, like the Orachayim here. So God, the Orachayim is interpreting. Even though Ava is greater, Hashem is not saying, what do I want from you, Ava? He says, all I want from you at least is Yira. The Because awe is all-encompassing. It goes with you everywhere. Because when you live with a sense of awe, with a consciousness and a mindfulness of the greatness of Hashem, it informs everything you do. Awe is the entranceway into love. You can't, you're not going to feel love. It's, it's, it's fake. Your love is fake if you don't have awe. Because if you don't have awe, you don't really know God. You can't really love God. If you knew God, you'd have awe of Him. If you have no awe, you don't really know Him. And if you don't really know Him, your love is counterfeit. It's inauthentic. So awe is the prerequisite. It's the... Entree into love. 
So says the Orachayim HaKadosh, that's why God says, or Moshe says, V'yata Yisrael. To start with, what does God want from you? He wants you to have awe. But then if you have genuine awe, the awe will lead to, will lead to love. Rav Huttner put it beautifully in his Igros Uksavim, in the letters of Rav Huttner, source 9, he writes, Fear without love, surely there is here a deficiency of love. Love without fear, there's nothing here at all. Right, again, he uses the word fear, really should be awe. Awe without love, there's a deficiency of love. Love without awe, there's nothing here at all. The Kliyakar also makes a comment on this Yiras Hashem. Says the Kliyakar, source 10. Chazal Amru, V'chiyayir emilta zutrasahi. Is awe of Hashem something so small, right? We just saw that Gemara and Brachos. Is awe something so insignificant that Moshe presents it as if it's nothing? And the Gemara answered, in, yeah, L'gabe Moshe zutrasahi. For Moshe, everything is relative. For Moshe, it's no big deal. Umakshim kan. Okay, so for Moshe it's nothing. Shouldn't Moshe have had enough self-awareness to realize that for him it's nothing? How could he present it to everybody as if it's nothing? So the Kliyakar says the typical answer you give to that is when the people living in the Midbar lived at such a high level and lived with Moshe for them too it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't that just for Moshe, it was no big deal. For those who lived with Moshe, who saw Moshe, for them too, it was no big deal. V'ani Omer, but says the Kliyakar, I say, Shezehu Kavanas HaPasuk, a different interpretation. Shama V'yata Yisrael, it says now, Mahu V'yata, what does it mean now? Since the Torah continues to say, no today, not your children who did not know and who did not see the miracles of Hashem. If I was asking your children, speaking to the Dordea, talking to the generation of the of the Midbar. If I was asking your children to have Yira, the ones who didn't experience the ten plagues, who didn't experience the splitting of the sea, who didn't stand at Harsinai, then in fact it would be a Dabar Godel. It would be a great thing to live with awe. It's hard to enter a life, the burden, the yoke of awe. But now, this generation, Atem Ra'u, you have no excuse. You saw with your own eyes. You have no excuse. You saw miracles. And if you saw miracles, you should have a sense of awe. <laughs> So the Kliyakar says, again, the Orachayim said, what does Vyata Yisrael now means? Start with awe, and the awe will lead to love. That's Vyata. For now, have awe. If you have awe, I'm confident you'll come to love. 
That's the Archaim. The Kliyakar says, no, Viata means you generation have no excuse. Your children and grandchildren who will continue to be at a further distance from the experience of standing at Sinai, who will be at a distance from the splitting of the sea and the ten plagues, they're going to struggle with awe. But you, you have no excuse. Viata, you have no excuse. You need to live with awe because you saw the miracles. And I would humbly suggest that maybe you can apply this Kliyakar. Those who lived, who were alive in 1948, who were alive in 1967, you saw the Six-Day War. You have no excuse not to have awe. You saw miracles unfold before your very eyes. Jewish people should have been wiped out. 30,000 graves were dug. And yet we were triumphant. Miracles that the world can still not explain. There is no excuse not to have a sense of awe. That's the Aviata Yisrael. And now you, in any generation that saw miracles, while others have a right maybe to struggle, you have no right to struggle. Finally, Rav Hirsch, source 11. Rav Hirsch says the following, Viata Yisrael, since all that has happened until now must have made it clear to you that all that happens in your future only depends on your faithfully carrying out all that God demands of you, what is it then that He demands of you? In other words, Rav Hirsch understands, Viata Yisrael, now that we've reviewed Jewish history, now that you see God's guiding hand in your lives, you must know that God cares what you do. So what does God want from you? Ma me'imach, ki'im, ma, other than. According to the cantillation, li'ira, lalachas, and li'ahava, to have awe, to walk in His way, and to love, are not three separate demands. But lalachas and li'ahava, to walk in His way, and to love, are the consequence and result of li'ira, in such a manner that it leads to our going in all the paths of God, which in its turn lead to the love of God. For Yireh Hashem means to keep God in His greatness and loftiness ever in one's mind. So Rav Hirsch defines Yireh as to keep God in His greatness and loftiness ever in one's mind. Lalechas bechol And thereby be induced to strive for all the goals, the way to which He has taught us. And this developing all our forces in the presence of God to the goals He has set before us and the ways which He has taught us brings us happiness. These goals and these ways run so much in line with our true nature. The paths he indicates are such pleasant ones. The feeling of living under his eye and achieving what he meant to accomplish is such a happy feeling. And this God-fearing treading his paths itself begets the love of God that knows no higher delight than to give oneself up entirely to God and to know that one is near him. So having awe of God doesn't debilitate. It doesn't paralyze. It leads to happiness and joy. Because when you see the greatness of the Almighty and you feel His presence in your life, your life has meaning and has purpose. You follow and you walk in His ways. You find happiness and you find pleasantness. That's, uh, that's Rav Hirsch's interpretation. The, uh, the last source, we're going to end here and not go through it, but you can go through it on your own. The Masifta, the new edition of uh, Gemaras that has come out in that Gemara and Brachos has nine different interpretations of what does it mean that for Moshe, Yira Shemayim is small. Such a great, difficult, unattainable thing and yet Moshe presents him, Masha, Mishal, what does God want? No big deal. So here he quotes nine different interpretations of why for Moshe it's no big deal. I encourage you uh, to read them. They are uh, all fascinating in their own right. So there's much more to talk about about Yerah Shemayim, about our Pesukim, Yatay Yisrael, Ma'ashem Elokecha. We saw three interpretations of Yatay Yisrael, why now? We saw multiple interpretations, what is this Yira? 
that Hashem wants from us, while and it's the only thing in life that we can control, we might as well know exactly might as well know exactly what it means. The Rambam, the Rav, and uh, and so on. I hope our learning served Leila Nishmas, Yudalai Ben Shlomo Zaman. Have a fantastic week.